It's early. The dawn is breaking. It's a beautiful day in Houston. So welcome. Welcome to the Rothko Chapel. I'm David Leslie, the executive director. And uh, if you could do a couple things, just one little housekeeping item. If you could silence or turn off your cell phones. And um, for those who are inclined to take photos, if you could hold off on doing that, that would really be great. Because in doing those two acts, it really creates a space where we're really more present with each other. And I think in a world of so much technology, even I'm using a microphone, uh, it's great to disconnect for a little bit. So thank you for doing that. Um, I was thinking today about a couple of things. Um, I, I understand that the theme for this year's World AIDS Day, now this is pulled off the web, so I know that can always be uh, dangerous, is uh, know your status. And um, I got to thinking that the word status, know your status, kind of works on a couple levels, right? It's know your status, that is, what is your health? How is your health? Get tested, find out how you're doing. But there's also know your status as a community. And in each of our hearts, know our status. That is, where do we stand right now in the year 2018 <clears throat> as it relates to our support of, knowledge of, um, the struggle around HIV AIDS, our neighbors, our friends, people who have passed before. Um, what is our status? Where do we stand? Um, and I think that question is really profound today, um, especially in the light of the passing of uh, President uh, George H.W. Bush who at the moment I got to thinking just in my 58 years, how many presidents I've, have been part of my life and you know, kind of using that as a bellwether of kind of the status of our society and where we are. And man, it makes you kind of pine for days gone past in a little bit. I don't mean to be political, but I think it is that moment where we do some reflection. And so we're here today to reflect uh, but not just to muse about the past, but really to think about how do we strengthen our relationships with each other uh, for the journey ahead and what will take place the minute we walk out of this door. That sense of know your status, right? Where are we as a community in the work together to end HIV AIDS? The other one that I realized, and I, I didn't know that, uh, I was looking at the website hiv.gov, and they use the term, the federal uh, theme for this year is saving lives through leadership and partnership. Well, there you have it. And here we are today as partners in the journey together. And as part of the partnership, I just uh, I want to make sure you take time to really uh, maybe afterwards look at the program that's here because it is a lot of partners that are in this world, in this community, working every day to end HIV AIDS and to support those who are living with HIV AIDS and as well as the allies that come to work together. So it's really a partnership. Now, I want to do the name a few folks because it's very important that we acknowledge them this morning. Uh, first, I got to give big thanks to Ashley Clemmer, uh, Kelly Johnson, my colleagues here who uh, do so much on our programming front not just the design and the delivery, but the actual thinking and thinking of uh, programs and ways that we could be together in this community. So could we thank them? Just a little quick round of applause. 
I also want to say big thanks to the Ryan White Planning Council, uh, Bering Memorial United Methodist Church, uh, the Montrose Center, and Legacy Community Health. Um, they work, as you well know, and many, many other partners uh, every day in this community to make this a, a livable, equitable place for all people. So we're just grateful to have, for a moment, I, I used to be part more active with the Planning Council in Portland, Oregon, and I do know the politics and the up and down and the struggles that happen in that group. So we're just glad you could have a moment to get off that grid for a second and be in fellowship together because the work you do is just so important. And then we got to thank Giant League Coffee. I mean, come on, it's 8 30 and 8 o'clock in the morning for the, uh, for the goodies and for the coffee. And I want to say they'll, we'll still have coffee out afterwards. So when we're finished, feel free to. Um, uh, enjoy the coffee outside and, and continued fellowship and conversation. Um, and, then, and then today you're going to hear a lot of voices and you're going to hear a lot of some stories and some music. And um, I, I think that uh, we also want to say a big thanks to the O Project, the oral histories of HIV AIDS in Houston, Harris County and Southeast Texas. We have a number of folks that have been part of that, the founders. So can we give them a big uh, thank you for, for being part of that. Thank you so much. <clears throat> and then I'm just gonna name Greg Hamilton, Isis Torrente, Andrew Edmondson, uh, Reverend Diane McGeehee, and John Edward Ross, who will all be providing the context, some of the, the, uh, the music, the prayers, the thoughts for the day. So thank you all for being here. And uh, when we're finished, uh, you're welcome to continue to stay in this space. Uh, if you want to just sit and meditate, uh, take the time. It's your time. And if you want to converse, we'll just go out and have more conversation on the plaza. Welcome. <laughs> delights in me. I like that. It's hard to believe that anyone could see and delight in me. It helps to know that God does. Can you see me and not my disease? Can you see past the labels? She has HIV AIDS, they say with wagging, shaming tongues as if this disease defines me, as if one mistake, one act by someone against me could even begin to capture the complexity of who I am. I am not this disease. I am not contained in a single choice, not mine or anyone else's. Can you see me in my innocence? The child inside who just wanted to live, who is finding her way in an often confusing world, seeking love, seeking life, just like you did and do. The child who chose to live, who still wants to live, who fears I might not who wishes with every breath I could just take it back, not let them do that to me, not make that choice, but I can't 
any more than you can undo your choices or the choices made against you. Can you see me? Am I really that different from you? Can you see my hopes, my dreams, my loves, my choice for life in the midst of this thing, this horrible thing that has me in its grip but is not me? Can you see me? Can you choose to see me? Will you choose to see me? I am more than my disease, so much more. I am love embodied in human flesh, walking among you, longing for relationship, for dignity, for acceptance, longing to be seen and loved as me. HIV-AIDS in Houston and in Texas is real. President Donald Trump has proposed slashing global HIV-AIDS funding in 2019 by $1 billion, a 20% reduction that, that experts say would lead to 3,000 deaths a year internationally. Congress is expected to reject these cuts, but advocates and are concerned about the overall U.S. commitment to ending AIDS is waning. In 2015, the number of people living in HIV, uh, the number of people who were positive in HIV um, in Texas was 81,873. When the numbers broken down by race, we find that 36.9 of the people of those pe of that population is African American, 31.9% is Hispanic and Latino, and 26.4% 26 is white. These numbers are astonishing. When you consider African Americans make up only 11.8% of the population in Texas, and Hispanics make up 38.8% uh, of the population in Texas, while uh, whites make up 43.1%. The rate of ha uh, Hispanic Latino males living with HIV diagnosis, has an HIV diagnosis is 1.4 times the rate of white males. The rate of Hispanic and Latino females living with HIV diagnosis is 2.0 times the, that of white females. Compared to the African-American populations, these numbers are more disproportionate. African-American men living with HIV <coughs> is 4.2 times that of white males. The rate of African-American women living with HIV is 14.8 times that of white females. We can talk about numbers all day and all night. We know that the battle of HIV and AIDS is real in Texas, uh, even in Houston. There's a whole bunch of numbers out there that just tell us that this is going on and still going on. 
the battle is real, but what about the solutions? We need to do something about this. If we want to truly get to the root of the problem, we need to go and educate. Now, I gave you guys numbers about the disproportionate rate between African Americans and Latinos and all that other stuff. But what do we do as individuals to go to these areas and educate them? I'm a black male, raised predominantly Hispanic. I know both cultures. So we don't speak about these kind of things. We tend to sweep them up under the carpet. So we never do know, uh, no one ever knows what's going on. We tend to be silenced and close our eyes while people are dying. But we need to stop that. We need to go into the communities to help the people that are being affected at these alarming rates. Houston has done a great thing when they are talking about uh, ending a roadmap to ending HIV and AIDS. I believe um, through a generous grant from the Ford Foundation, AIDS Houston and Community Health, they've been working closely with over 50 community leaders to develop a new roadmap. The roadmap is ending the HIV epidemic in Houston. Now they're following the cities like Atlanta, San Francisco, and New York. That's the beginning part of it, but then there's still more to do. If I was living silently with this disease, I wouldn't expect somebody of Indian nationality to come into my neighborhood and talk to me about HIV and AIDS. I wouldn't be able to hear them. If I was transgender and, I'm a, and there's a heterosexual male coming to me and to talk to me about this stuff, I'm not gonna listen to them. We need to get to the part of where we can listen to each other, where we can open our ears and find out exactly what needs to be done in this community so we can avoid this. It can be avoided. They got PrEP out there right now. PrEP is a good uh, pill, daily dose pills. It's gonna help. But at the same time, the information is not there. And we need to, as individuals, go out to these communities, talk to them. Uh, I'm very active in my church. They don't talk about any of this stuff. They don't even address homosexuality in my church. You know, I go to a straight church and they do not ex ex uh, talk anything about homosexuality. They condemn, but they don't talk anything about that. And from what I can understand, the Bible talks about nothing but love. Love is the key to everything. So without trying to put faces on different people and, and uh, stigmas on different people, we need to figure out how we can end this epidemic. And the battle in Houston and in Texas is still real. It's out there. These kids, these young kids, I have um, great nieces and nephews. They're not even worried about having unprotected sex because they say, well, you know, uncle, you've been living it for over 20 years, you look good. You know, but still they don't, I try to talk to them about how when I was first diagnosed, I was taking 30 pills a day. Now I'm only taking four, but still, why would you want to put yourself in that situation? But these kids today are not listening. These kids today think they're invincible. So we need to, if we're going to end this epidemic, we need to speak to our children. We need to speak to the individuals out there who are actually having issues, the high-risk areas, the poverty areas, all those people who are not getting the education, that's where it lies. And I just thank each and every one of you from coming here and listening to what we have to say. The battle in Texas is real. There are so many people out there just suffering still. Uh, people do not know. People are suffering in silence. People do not know about these things. And it's just, it's really disheartening and to uh, understand that this is still going on at this day and, uh, and time. So I thank you for listening. Thank you.
stigma is not just one thing. Stigma is many things. It comes in the form of words, thoughts, actions, attitudes, looks, and in my own imagination. Stigma may be different for you than it is for me. Stigma is when your uncle says, hmm, I didn't think we had those kind of people around here. Or when your grandmother says, oh, bisexual ones are the worst. They just spread to everyone. Or when your sister says, oh my gosh, I would freak out if my kid's babysitter had HIV. Stigma is when you have to lie or hide things from people out of fear of their reactions. When you awkwardly have to come up with some excuse during job interviews about why you got sick and had to leave your previous job. When you have to cover your tracks and delete your browsing history lest your employer find out that you have HIV. When you have to hide your last name from social networking sites so that Google and the whole world can't find out your secret. Stigma is when no matter what your level of education, people suddenly see you as stupid and lesser of a person. When they repeatedly ask you, how could you be so stupid to make those mistakes? And they assume you must have either been raped or be a drug user or a prostitute. When a pharmacist or a doctor looks and talks down to you. Stigma is when you see a parent slightly cringe when their child puts his finger near or in your mouth. When you notice the startled look on an old friend's face when you reach to take a sip of his drink. And someone wonders if they should warn family and friends of your status before bringing you to visit that person's house. And people don't say anything at all because they feel it is awkward or taboo to talk about. Stigma is when you feel ashamed for being a sexual person. When you refrain from flirting with someone because you assume it would be a waste of time and just later lead to rejection. When 67% of people say in a poll that they probably wouldn't be willing to date you. Stigma is when you feel guilty for your past choices. When you feel you will always have to attempt to prove yourself to make it up. When the world thinks they know you just because of those three letters, H-I-V. with HIV. I am a grandmother. I am a mother to very wonderful children who have accepted me completely. I do not hide my status and I would not change it for anything. If I were to live again, I would choose to have this. Having HIV has shown me how to live, how to appreciate 
every moment of every day. Whereas before I knew that I had HIV, I was that grouchy lady that would get to the register and be like, come on, hurry up. But there's nothing for me to hurry up for because the end will come to everyone. And I just, I'm alive. How, what more can I ask? When I was diagnosed on January the 27th of 2013, the first thing that comes to your mind is my life is over. But for me, I kept denying it. I was at LBJ at the ER because I had my blood pressure so high. And I said, no, you guys are mistaken. You need to take my blood work again. It's impossible. You see, I'm not an ignorant person, but when it came to HIV, I might as well have been a pre-K because 22 years married and then six years in a relationship, raising a family, running a small business, I was never gonna have HIV. I never even bothered to learn about HIV because why would it? It didn't touch me, it wouldn't come to me. I am not a prostitute, I'm not promiscuous, I've never done drugs. And I was with a couple, so I figured that we were not homosexuals and nothing, none of that. But you see, I had a new life, I had to wake up and learn. And I learned that HIV has no status, it doesn't care if you're rich or poor, it doesn't care what part of town you come from, what culture you are, where you were born, how old you were. I'm gonna be 52 years old in two weeks. And when I was diagnosed, I was like, you know, a mom. I was the mom that was taking her kids to the scouts and I was the room mom, I was the volunteer for everything. That couldn't happen to me. When we talk about stigma, you're right. It is a lot, it's fear. Being a Latina, um, it's very difficult to tell your family. First thing everybody says, you know, thinks of, oh, what did you do? I asked my friends to be honest with me, what did they think when I told them? And they all said the same thing. Hmm, wonder what she was doing. But you tell someone you have cancer or diabetes or everyone's like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know. I lost so many friends when I disclosed. Uh, people that I had thought that they would be there for me. Slowly, they don't tell you, hey, I don't wanna talk to you no more. They just stop answering your phone calls or they'll be short, oh, I'm so busy, I'll call you back. And then months go by and nobody ever calls you. They're afraid. And we do have so many tools nowadays, like PrEP and my favorite, my favorite tool is undetectable equals untransmittable. But we need to get tested. We need to get tested in order to get to that point. And that's where the stigma comes in. That's where that fear. If you go in the Latino community and the black community, and I would probably have to say that in all communities, if you're a male and you go get tested and your friends find out that you got tested, the first thing that will be like, oh, he must be gay or, oh, he must be on drugs. And if you're a female and you go get tested, well, certainly I am a bad girl or, I'm, you know, I've done something wrong. <coughs> I would like there to be routine testing, not opt-out testing. Routine, just like they check your blood sugar or your blood pressure. 
Why not? I didn't do anything different. I didn't do anything different than most people do. I trusted someone. I lived with them. We shared everything. That could happen to anyone. Well, being in, you know, after I found out and the devastation for a few days, because it didn't last me for more than a few days, I was lucky because I couldn't. I had to get up. I had to move. And then I figured this was given to me, this opportunity to share with everyone because of to teach them, hey, this could be you. If it's me, it could be you. It could be you. It could be anyone. And I've been very blessed to be a part of the Ryan White Planning Council. I have been blessed to be able to speak. I have volunteered. And during all this time, I have learned and met people that are in this denial. I even met a couple last week that they've had it for 21 years. And the husband and wife go to get their medications and stuff together, but they've never sat down and talked about it, talked about why or how or anything. They don't talk about it with anyone. And that is the danger that we need to get to talk. We need to open up. And I hope that everyone that's here today, when you leave, you think about this and you talk about with your friends openly because it's not a secret. I am just like everyone else, just that I have the disease. And it doesn't, I have it, but it's not me like she said, like the Reverend said. It's not me. I'm ISIS. I am the person that gets up every morning and does a bunch of things and tries to live my life as productive as I can. And I try to see the good in everyone and try to be there for others because I needed someone to be there for me. The Latino community is at the, one of the highest that when they get diagnosed, it's already at late diagnosis, stage, you know, four or <laughs> something like that where it's up. It's like already because of just something so simple as not getting tested. Or sometimes knowing your status, but so afraid, so afraid to let everyone else know that you don't want to go into the clinic. Um, there's a crossroads in, with HIV. There's poverty sometimes. There's drug use sometimes. There's mental health issues. And that crossroads, sometimes when it meets, it's dangerous when you don't have someone. We, in the Latino community, our families are very united. And maybe being the person that rocks, you know, comes and throws that rock into the family, it's scary because everybody doesn't know how to react to it. The, the thing that gets to me the most is when someone is, you know, at a late diagnosis that could have probably been saved with just one little test. We need to make that test available. We need to make education available so we can end that stigma, so we can feel the empowerment of saying we're going to take care of ourselves in every possible way that we can. So I thank all of you for being here. And I thank you all for hearing our voices, letting us share with you our experiences. And I ask you, please, share what you've learned with others.
so that we could get to end HIV. We had a plan for 2020. I don't know if we'll make that plan, but we can sure at least come closer to it if we all try. Thank you. A mirror beside my bed, away from the sun burning brightly, outside the window blinds in my darksome room. For a moment, before the mirror, I stand to see the face of the victim, whose result returned a death sentence after a test, and another test, and yet another, but they kept coming back one and the same, like the torrent of tears that keep returning to your eyes when the heart remains wet with worries. In the mirror, I found a face, a certain face too afraid to look at me, the face of a stranger, a strange face sketched in the shadows of my unlit room against the fiery fingers of the sun, flickering the window blinds on a fateful morning to irritate my day. I know this face hiding in the mirror isn't me. It couldn't be me. I looked straight into her eyes. It was then she looked back at me, petrified. She crept back into the closet of her life. I walked slowly and gently toward her. Suddenly, the stranger's steps closer and closer. She comes towards me. And when my feet froze on the floor upon the freezing fear that gripped me, the stranger in the mirror startles, faint-hearted, intimidated. This stranger is not me. No, not me. She is just a shadow, a shadow too locked up in her closet to open up to me. She's a stranger too steeped in shame to stand up to herself and say, I am Hannah. I am HIV positive. How beautiful life could be when I open the window blinds in my heart and let the rays of the sun overshadow the stranger in the mirror of my life.
God of all compassion, comfort your sons and daughters who live with HIV AIDS. Spread us over us all your quilt of mercy, love, and peace. Open our eyes to your presence reflected in their faces. Open our ears to your truth echoing in their hearts. Give us the strength to weep with the grieving, to walk with the lonely, to stand with the depressed. May our love mirror your love for those who live in fear, who live under stress, who suffer rejection. Mothering, fathering God, grant rest to those who have died and hope to all who live with HIV AIDS. God of life, help us find the cure now and help us build a world in which no one dies alone and where everyone lives accepted, wanted, and loved.
Hi, my name is Andrew Edmondson, and I am a volunteer with a group called the Oral History Project. And today we've been incredibly moved by the stories of Isis and Gregory and the stories that Diane has selected to read for us. And the mission of the Oral History Project is to capture those stories of people in Houston and Harris County who've been impacted by the HIV and AIDS crisis. We're now 38 years into the AIDS crisis, and what we discovered about four years ago was that there was no organization or archive that was documenting what had happened here in Houston uh, in the years of the AIDS crisis. What we saw is that there were some benighted acts of fear and loathing, but there were also incredible acts of heroism, of people stepping up courageously in an awful time to lead, of people uh, like Tori Williams, who founded the Pet Patrol to help people who, had, who were living with AIDS, who had animals, to continue to be able to keep their animals, to have people like Sue Lovell, who helped found uh, the AIDS Foundation Houston, so that people living with AIDS who were almost homeless and forced out of their homes could find housing, had a food pantry to go to to get food. Uh, the stories are incredibly inspiring. Our project is to work over the next four to five years to collect a hundred stories from the activists, uh, the physicians, the faith leaders, the politicians and the leaders of our community of what happened here in Southeast Texas during the AIDS crisis. We are so fortunate to have a wonderful partner at Rice University called the Woodson Research Center and they are going to be the repository for the hundred oral histories that we collect. And they are gonna make those available to researchers and also to the general public via their website. And also you can go to the Woodson Research Center at Rice and read the oral histories. Um, I would encourage you after this event, uh, we have posters in the lobby of some of the people who've been gracious enough to tell their stories with little segments of their stories that are pulled out just to give a sense of what that time was like. We also have brochures about our project and those are out on display in the lobby and we would encourage you to please pick up a brochure. And if you know someone who lived through the AIDS crisis and made a significant impact, please nominate them so that we can capture their story and make sure that that is preserved uh, in the archives at the Woodson Research Center at Rice University. Um, we are an all-volunteer project. Uh, we are so excited to partner with wonderful organizations like the Rothko Chapel and to celebrate the progress that has been made but also to document the history that is so important to remember and that can inform future responses to public health crises like Ebola. Um, I also, just on a personal note, wanna thank the Rothko Chapel. I came to Houston in 1990. I was a gay man who lived through the worst years of the AIDS crisis when uh, churches and religious spaces would not accept gay men at all and would not have any type of memorial services. And the Rothko Chapel opened its doors and I came to many memorial services here, and it always felt like a place of acceptance, of love, of refuge, where you could come and mourn the people that you had lost and be in a safe space, surrounded by beautiful art, um, kind of watched over by a benevolent patriarch like, uh, or matriarch like Dominique de Manille, and feel a sense of community and connection. So I just wanna offer that as a thank you to the Rothko Chapel for what you've done a small piece of what you've done for
30 years. Thank you. Divine and beloved one, on this World AIDS Day, we repent of our denial, complacency, and failure towards those with or who are at risk of acquiring HIV AIDS. We commit ourselves afresh to communicating your grace to the world, to educating, ministering, responding, and identifying with those in need. We give up our complacency our feelings of self-righteousness, our judgmental attitudes, our faulty beliefs about HIV and AIDS, and the people who live with or who are at risk of acquiring the virus. Open our hearts to change and receive forgiveness. Give enabling power to those who will bring change to individuals, families, institutions, communities, nations, and the world. Enable us to promote positive examples of righteousness, of safe and healthy living in our families, communities, and nations by educating and removing neglect, conflict, and individualism. As we gather here today, we prayerfully rededicate ourselves to HIV AIDS work. Help us to listen, to learn, and to live. Forget about the way it came to be. Forget that it brought amongst death. Let it sink with no worry. Shine through the midst of hell. Love it till the day you're reborn. Every chance equals a mistake. Red rise on the dime. The love never ceases. Bring one and all together. Dance. Dance, dance, in time when one can unite, no fear, no disgrace, just sweet tastes of prosperity. Bring the beat around, turn it inside out and kiss the sweet joy. Red rise got no power over you, red rise just flows in and out. Standing tall, hand in hand, clasped arms encircled, waiting for that day to rise, that day to rise with no fear, all equal in one. Reflection stares back in the mirror. 
Why are we doing this to ourselves? We continue to lose on the edge. We leave ourselves inside without any take of the mind. Nightmares are beginning to run like ovulated beings. Panic modes and deceit are freeing themselves into the reality of notion and point. Red rises on a constant spur of taking lives with no crash. But when that crash ceases, red rise will be faced with hell. Where's the family when needed? Where are the friends you always hope for? The feeling of unworthiness seems to take its course for more than a day. Feelings of a hero coming to save you from your torture seem to lessen. But one day, you shall rise up to the occasion and you will become the hero. The hero that has defeated the red from rising and conquering. Red rise will forever cease and make no pass for another. Dance, dance, rejoice with tears and laughter. The love from those who understand will follow through. Stand up and rise for that occasion of acceptance. Live through the eyes of beauty, for beauty in the eyes tell all. Sing, sing. The feeling and being of a new life will step forth and bring forth more than a twirl. Red rise no more, my beautiful child. May the wishes of blessing bless your head. And may the life you once knew be surrendered. For you, child, are no mistake. You are a beautiful creature, creature created by a God of statue and portion. You are no blessing in disguise. You are a pure bliss of love. You are a striving companion of love. You are not a factor red rise red rise will flow away red rise will pass go my beautiful child dream 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 dance 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 sing 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 red rise
you all for being here this morning. I was, um, <clears throat> Andrew, thank you very much for your words um, appreciation for the Rothko Chapel. Many times when I'm here, I uh, invite people to uh, really think about your feet and think about what's below your feet and what you're touching. Um, if we were in another place, another time, I, we can take our shoes off because I often say when you're in a holy place, you take your shoes off. I think Andrew's words remind us of almost 50 years of being a place where people are invited to come as they are, speak in the first person, and we're invited to listen. And I think it's that holy traversing of these tiles that make this such a holy place and such a wonderful place so that today just remember your feet and now tart join the saints and all the folks that have been here over almost 50 years all those feet the walkers the wheelchairs the canes part of that communion of uh, people that really care about all that is good and all that is right as we leave here today as you know when you go out you you cannot miss Barnett Newman's broken obelisk that was created in the 60s at another time when life was turned upside down and there was a lot of question about future. And if you look at, if you don't know this, but right on the, I guess it would be the northeast corner of the reflecting pool is a little tiny, uh, small plaque dedicated to the life, ministry, legacy of uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And that's another story we'll tell another time how that happened. But Every time I leave here, I'm mindful of the fact that the time is now and the place is here for the work that we have to do. And we never do it alone. We always do it together in community. So on this World AIDS Day, our little gathering here is put into context of this global gathering. I was thinking about as that sun moves across the world, all the gatherings that are happening, and we just put ours into that into that movement. So again, thank you for being here, for sharing your stories, uh, for the work and the, the witness that you keep in this community. So with that, feel free to stay, have more coffee, conversation, and go in peace. Thank you.